Please stand for the reading of God's word from Psalm 67. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us, Selah, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth, Selah. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. This is the word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. Thank you, Morgan, and good morning again. If we haven't had a chance to meet, I'm Travis. I'm the pastor here. It's good to be with you this morning. Uh, We are continuing, if you're just joining us, actually finishing a series that we've been going through. Uh, We're calling The Life of the Church, following Easter, trying to spell out exactly what does it mean to be the people that God has brought back from sin and death. What is the church supposed to be about? There are a lot of different conceptions in our culture, maybe in your own experience about what does it mean to be the church, to be at church? What are these things supposed to be like? What's their purpose and function from God's perspective? Uh, There are many different pictures that we could use and that scripture uses in God's own words to describe the life of the church, but we've been borrowing extensively from one author, Henry Nouwen, in his book, The Life of the Beloved, in a picture he gives to sum up the Christian life as something like the sacrament of communion. He says where bread is chosen, blessed, broken, and given. He describes the Christian life according to that paradigm and says, as a Christian, I am called to become bread for the world, bread that is chosen, blessed, broken, and given. And likewise, our life, our Christian life, our life as the church is meant to be something of a living sacrament, something that is given over for the life of the world. We're not just here to be about ourselves. That's not what church is about. It's not what it's meant to be at its best and truest expression. It is meant to be more like a fountain than a reservoir. It's meant to give out and receive and not just receive and collect. And so we've been working through this picture of of something that is ultimately given, but is at the same time filled up through these four words of chosen, blessed, broken, and now we're coming to the end, our second week on the word given. Last time we looked at how God gives his people to the world as priests, as those who are fundamentally for the good of someone else. That's that's the essence of what it means to be a priest, someone who is about the care of others. And we heard that all we have to do to be that given people in that way is to listen to God's voice, to follow him. Kids, I know we have some of you all in here this morning Maybe some of the hardest things it might feel like that you have to do are listening to directions, but how much harder would it be if your parents never told you what to do? They never gave you any directions on what would be helpful, on what would be good for you or for other people. God isn't like that. He always speaks so that all we have to do is listen. It's still hard to listen, but he does speak. We don't have to guess. And today we're going to talk more about what it means for God to speak to us, to lead us 
in being a people that are given, that are for the good of others. We're going to look at what it means to be a, a tangible expression, something that you could see, that you can, that you can touch, that you can feel, to be a tangible expression of God's blessing, to be given as those who just share what God has given us, what we've received for the life of the world. And we're going to do that here through Psalm 67 by focusing on three different things. We're going to look at a request for blessing in verses 1 through 4 and 6. We're going to look at a problem that comes up from that request in verses 1 and 7. And then finally, we're going to talk about how we sing the song of the given because this psalm has a song-like nature to it. There's a refrain in verse 3 and verse 5, let the peoples praise you, God. This is something that's meant to be sung in the life of the Christian is meant to be something that to a certain extent we sing that goes on and on that's in our hearts that we catch and that we share with others. Before we do that, would you bow your heads and let's pray and ask God to fill up our time. God, we thank you that you do speak to us. We are not on our own wandering in the dark. We are not a lonely planet in a vast universe without anyone to hear or help. But that you, of all you have made, said you made this place and humans a special thing that is particularly on your heart. And that what you give us is to be ultimately like you, to be one that is full and one that shares. And so we pray that you, you would do that this morning, that for all the ways that we feel empty and famished and, and hungry and tired and weary, that you would fill us up in those things. And that you would give us hearts to not let that stop with us, but that you would give us a second hunger an additional desire that we might hunger for others to have what we have found in you. Would you give us a discontent, God, with closing our doors and being comfortable? Would you give us a real heart that desires to see others have what you would share? So I pray that you would come now and fill up our hearts in that way, that we might see and hear from you and go out with something more than we came in with this morning. In your name we pray, amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, feel free to have those open. We'll reference the text together. If you don't, there should be one in the pew in front of you. You can always just listen as the church has always heard God's word. But we're going to start at the beginning for a request for blessing. This psalm is unquestionably asking God to do something for the people of Israel. What's this blessing, though? What's this request about? How does it relate to us being God's given people, the people that he shares with others? Well, verse 6 helps us start to understand. Verse 6 says that the earth shall yield or, or is yielding its blessing, that God blesses us or he will bless us. It's talking about the land. Okay, we have to remember this was written a long, long time ago. Land was very important. This is something that's likely talking about crops. It's either asking for a good harvest or right after a good harvest, asking God to do it again the next time, to let, not this, to let this not be the last time that God would take care of them, but to be just another of a long line of times that God would take care of them. Kids, maybe you are good at asking for things over and over. Your birthday is coming up. Christmas is coming. You know what you want, and you are asking, asking, asking. My kids are asking experts, right? Just because you've received a Christmas gift before, just because you've received a birthday present before, does not mean that you are done asking, 
right? God invites us in the same way that we as parents might get tired of our kids asking. God doesn't get tired of us asking again and again to keep taking care of our needs. So God's people were asking thousands of years ago for him to continue to take care of their needs with a good harvest. Now, that's not something we think about too much in our society right now. Things are distant. You go to the grocery store. You don't go out to the field as much and farm and take care of what you need. You buy something that someone else has made. So how does asking for a good harvest help us understand here and now what it means to be God's given people, what this blessing that they're asking for is about? Well, in, in an agrarian society, a society where you, you had to be about agriculture, about taking care of the land, living off the land, so much depends on the harvest. No one was really working in IT. IT was fire or wheels, right? Something like that. There weren't jobs like we have now. So much depended on crops and trade related to crops. And so it might be natural to think that you would ask God to provide so that we don't face starvation or disaster. So that we don't have to leave our homes, which is often what would happen. A part of the world would experience famine, a lack of provision for food or for water, and they would have to travel somewhere else. They would have to leave their home, maybe make it back, or maybe just stay there. They're asking for God to let them stay home to let them continue to be in the place that he has given them, to not have to become refugees and to just claw out a way to survive. We would expect that's what they're asking for, just let us stay home. But the psalm shows us seeing God's people ask for something more than just the ability to stay home. It doesn't just say, God bless us with a good harvest, verse 1 and verses 6 or 7, that's all there is. There's this part in between verses 2 through 5, where they talk about something else. They don't just want God to bless them for them. They want something else out of this. It shows us people asking that the nations would praise God, verses 3 and 5, because of this blessing. There's a connection between them asking for blessing and the people all around the world praising God because of what he has done for them. This is not just God take care of us so that nothing bad happens here. This is God take care of us, not just for that, but because... We want to see something else happen. We want to see something more. We have a hunger for something more. They're asking that God would bless them so that they would have a tangible expression, so that they would have crops in storehouses that were examples of God's goodness to the world around them. There would be a testimony to what God is like when you are his people walking in his way so that they would have not just enough for them, but so that they would have enough to give away so that there would be something to share with those who don't yet know him that would show them something of what he's like. They're asking for this blessing so that not just they might not become refugees, but so that when others do become refugees, when they experience famine and hardship, when there is not enough to eat, that they would have a place to go, and that place might be the doors of God's house that they could find what they need there, that they wouldn't have to keep being refugees, keep being homeless, but that they could find a home with God's people, that they could come to God for deliverance and they would find something in Him that they would not find somewhere else. A God who saves and gives, not because you have earned it, but just by grace. 
completely for free. That's what they're asking for because it wasn't just Israel who experienced a life in a Genesis 3 world, a life where the garden of everything being free and easy is gone, a life where things break down, work is hard, the body breaks down, nothing comes easy, and everything is difficult. In that world, it's not just God's people, it's everyone in that world that needs someone to provide, someone to give for them for the many famines and disasters that we experience physically, spiritually, relationally. There are thousands of ways that we go hungry day in and day out that are more than just a hunger in our stomach, that there's a hunger in our souls that we experience in a world that has been broken by sin, in a world that I think we all could agree, whether we believe in God or not, is not the way it's supposed to be. That when we look around us, we recognize that the world is not the way it's supposed to be. There's something that has gone wrong. And this psalm recognizes that God's people don't have what they need in that kind of world on their own. They need to ask for someone to help them. And that on the world, that on the world on its own, not just them, but that everyone around them who doesn't know God doesn't have someone to intercede for them in that way. Doesn't have someone who will do all these things just by grace, not by earning it, not by working hard, not by being hard on yourself, but just by grace. So the psalmist is asking God to give them something that they could share with others to give them a tangible expression of who he is, to give them a good harvest that they might share, that they might be generous, that they would care for other people so that they could be given to others as the saved and provided for to those who needed saving and providing for. They're asking simply that as God would send them, he would make them. He would give them what they need so that God's ways, his saving ways, verse 2, would be known not just in Israel but everywhere by the nations so that everyone, verse 4, would enjoy God's care, his leading, God's providing. So they would be in a place where God looks after them too. This prayer shows a people who are becoming the given, becoming the given and learning how to ask for something for more than just themselves, how to ask for something for their friends, for their siblings. Are we as Christians becoming that kind of people? Are we learning to ask for more than just us? What does my prayer life look like? Do I ask for more than just me? Do I ask for others? Is there a sense in which I want God to give me a better life, not just for me, but that I might have more to share from that life with others? Or am I about me? It's hard work to change, but we're going to talk about how God changes us in these things to become more and more the people of this song, that sing a song that's a life of giving over for others. There's a desire we see that God has put on their heart, but there's a problem to think about our second point here. There's a problem that comes with this request that we can see in verses 1 and 7. The psalmist sees this need around them, sees that they are standing in the midst of a people who are in a world that's broken and need God, next door to other people who are living in a world that is broken and that needs God but don't know God. They're asking God to intercede on their 
behalf and for the world's behalf, praying that God will answer so that they can give away what he gives to them. But as much as they can see the problems of the world, they can only ask for help. Verse 1 says, may God be gracious. They can't command God. They can't command the world around them. They can't just snap their fingers and stop hunger and stop war and stop disease. And the same is true with us. Our culture is building more and more of an expectation that that isn't true, that with enough hard work, with enough advancement in technology and all these sorts of things that we can work our way out of having to be dependent, but we continually see that that's just not true. That we bump up against hard realities and we're shocked because we've embraced this idea that if we work hard enough, we won't experience suffering. Scripture is far more realistic than that. We keep bumping up against the hard parts of life in a Genesis 3 world. We can't fix permanently the things that are broken. We might for a time make hunger a little bit better in a few parts of the world. We might for a time make peace a little bit more prevalent in certain parts of the world. The, the quality of living is a little bit better, but things break down. Things change. We cannot control all things. There is a distance between what the psalmist can see and what the psalmist can fix. And that's true for each of us today. There is a difference between what we can see that is broken, even in us, let alone in the world around us, and what we can fix. We need help from outside of ourselves, in part because the problem is in ourselves. You can't fix in others what's broken in you. We need God to answer. That's what the psalmist is asking for. There's a humility in that. And saying, God, there, I recognize that there are a lot of things that are broken here, and I also recognize that I'm probably part of why that's broken. I'm part of the problem, not part of the solution, as much as I desire a solution. I need you, who is not broken, to come and fix what is broken in me and what's broken around me. Not just because fixing the problems of the world are beyond any of us, but because we are called, invited into this other life, this life as the given of God, not as saviors in ourselves. That's a great freedom of what the psalm holds out to you here. You don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to be the savior. Something that's so exhausting in the advocacy of our time is that you have to be the savior. You have to have the exact right ideology at the exact right time with the right power and connections to make something happen. You don't have to do that with God. It doesn't rest on you. You don't have to be the Savior. You can still call on a Savior. Kids, you don't have to be the biggest and the strongest to help. You can have someone who is big and strong who loves to involve you. Isn't that an advocacy that we could get behind? Where you don't have to do it all. You could have someone big and strong who loves to help. That we can be given as those who have simply received and continue to receive. We don't have to be the given as those who supply ourselves. That is not, I want to be clear, that is not what God is asking of you in sending you out. All he asks you to do is to share what he gives with you. And the psalmist is saying, if you're going to live that way, if you're going to live as the given people of God, then go all in. Rest 
rest on God. Receive from God. Don't be the Savior yourself. Have a Savior for yourself. Don't try and live as the given and a self-made person at the same time. That's trying to do two jobs. The psalmist is acknowledging that he can't do one job. Don't try to do two things. Receive the one thing. He's saying if you're going to live as God's given, then, verse 7, be confident that God will do it. He will show up for you. He will bless. He will take care of you. If you are going to live, church, as God's given people, be confident. Put your weight on the fact that God will give. Put all of your trust in that. Don't be half in and half out. The psalm invites you to just rest on God in that way, to be confident that he will give even if you don't understand what he's doing, even if you don't understand the way that he's going to give, even if it's different than you thought it would be, even if it meets a different need, a different hunger, a different famine than you were thinking about. There might be something, he says, and this happens when you walk into an emergency room, you get triaged. Some needs are more urgent than other needs. I might come in with what I think is a deep and urgent need. Yesterday, second time, some of you have heard this already, one of my children who shall remain nameless swallowed an object that is not food. This is the second time in about three weeks we're working on this. But when you go into the emergency room, if you are not in immediate peril, you do not go to the top of the list, right? We come in with a problem that feels serious. I'm not sure where this is. Is it in his esophagus? Has it worked to his stomach? I don't know. That's why I'm going to the emergency room. But there are other people ahead of me that had more serious crises, and so we had to wait. Sometimes God is going to say, yes, that is important, and yes, we will deal with that, but there is something that we have to deal with first. There is a different problem that we have to deal with right now that we can't wait on. Put your weight on the fact that God is going to answer even if you don't know the order of triage for the needs. Because the answer you get when you put your weight on him, when you're confident that he will answer, is better than what you could imagine walking in that door. He's going to take care of needs that you are not thinking about. As Scripture reveals, God's going to answer this prayer by the people of Israel, not just by giving them what they asked for. God does not simply answer this prayer just by honoring what they asked for. He doesn't say, well, if you had asked more, I would have given you more. God's not like that. God doesn't say, well, if you only knew the right way to ask, I could have shown up for you, but let's start the paperwork over and we'll try a second time. No, God responds more generously. He doesn't answer by providing just with a good harvest like they're asking for to, to end the hunger that they saw around them, to be a place of provision for the world around them like they asked. God would provide a person. His solution for our famine was not to have us make ourselves a meal, but to have us receive a meal at the hands of a generous host to take us back to the garden that we had lost, that all this famine had interrupted, where we used to receive a meal in the garden of God at the hands of a gracious host. 
Where there was not work and striving, there wasn't famine and hardship, there was simply receiving. His solution was to give us, his son, Jesus Christ, a living, breathing, blessing, savior, gift, and friend. Someone who could not just see the problems of the world, but would do something about them that would change the fabric of existence. Because on the cross, Jesus didn't just hand us bread in a famine and say good luck. He enters in to the famine that sin creates, and he breaks it apart. He absorbs it in his own body, that famine and disaster of sin, so that by faith, by no work, by no effort, just by open-handed receiving, the famine of sin that is in our hearts and in our world would be broken from its very core to the farthest reaches that it's found. See, in Jesus Christ, God wants to give you so much more than one meal for one day. He wants to replace the bottomless famine that is in your soul with the endless harvest that is the presence of God himself. The meal that you were meant to have from all eternity, that you have been starving for, that each and every one of our longings that ends up getting expressed in, in buying this and having that status and this kind of relationship, the bottomless well of those belongings is meant to be met, not in a finite passing thing, but in an eternal thing. Kids, whatever you want the most for Christmas, God is the bottomless depths of that thing. He is that thing times infinity and however you might else calculate that in kid numbers. Infinity times infinity. Infinity times three. However you want to say it, God is the depths of those things. Jesus gives us a harvest, a life, that we can't even imagine, that we don't know to ask for. God is more gracious to give you what you need, even if you don't know how to ask for it. In Jesus, we have that something greater, that blessing that the psalmist's heart was aching for that gives us a confidence to say, if we are living as the given, then God will certainly give. That's who you get to be as the church. A people who are sent out with something, with someone. You don't go alone. You go in the power of God himself who cares to answer more than we know how to ask for And by the gift of his Holy Spirit, he doesn't just intercede for us, but he gives us. We become the gift in the same manner that Jesus was the gift tangibly for the world. We become a tangible gift to the world. People get to see us as those who have received from God. We get to be that place like Israel that's not just stuck in one place with one people that's in all places with all people. That's the pervasiveness of the church that God would have an post of his goodness and care and provision everywhere around the world that there might not be some place where you can't see that God gives just because he loves to give. That's what we are meant to be a part of as the church. That's what's the importance of our outpost here and the outpost everywhere around the world is that we would be that light. We would be that place where you can come and receive for free where you can find goodness just by grace. He makes us his surprising gift, his surprising intercessors for the world. He makes his intercession for us our song too. And that brings us to our final point and what will be 
our practical application of how we sing the song of the given that the psalmist gives us here. And we do that in two things that I want to encourage you to do this week more practically, which is to receive and to tangibly give. We sing this song first by receiving. We've been talking about this for practically the whole sermon, that we can't give away what we don't have. You can't give away the grace that you haven't experienced. Jesus talks about in the Gospels that those who have received little love give little love. Those who have received little forgiveness give little forgiveness. But those who have received a lot, those who have touched bottom and needed that kind of forgiveness, know how to forgive. We're called to be a people who receive great, great grace from God and share that grace with others. God is not calling you to go out on your own. You can't introduce people to the grace of God if you don't know it yourself. So receive the grace of God. Maybe if only for the first time. Receive that God would give his son to you, not just a meal, not just a good time, not just a happy life, but his very presence. Receive that kind of God. Receive it anew if you know it, that God knows the wastelands of your life and he willingly walks into them to bring you out of famine into the feast of life with him. All the depths of your desire. And he wants to give you those things. That's what you give away, not yourself. You give away him. So receive that again. Fill up in that, that you might share that. The fountain that is dry shares nothing, but the fountain that is sourced by a spring of life from God, that can just keep sharing. So second, tangibly give away what you have received. God gave us his son in our famine, something, someone tangible. Likewise, the church is meant to be someone, some people tangible that he gives to the world. We are meant to be this living sacrament, this place where you can come and find rest because we have found rest with God, this place that is meant to be bread for the world. CTK is not meant to be about CTK. It is meant to be about Jesus and the world and ourselves and all these things as part of what he is doing. And we are meant to tangibly give not just our talents, not just the things that you do best. We probably, each of us, have a few talents, a few things that we would say, I'm good at that. I do that well. God is not just asking you to use only the, the super gifts that he's given you, not just your talents and achievements. He might use those. He often works despite those. He often works around those in our brokenness and our emptiness, as we've talked about in prior weeks, but also simply in the gifts that he has given us in just being made in his image. As Henry Nouwen says, more important than our talents for being this bread for the world are our gifts. We may only have a few talents, but we have many gifts. He says our gifts are the many ways in which we express our humanity. They are part of who we are. Friendship, kindness, patience, joy, peace, forgiveness, gentleness, love, hope, trust, and many, many others. These are the true gifts, Nowen says, that we have to offer each other. 
You don't have to be a super talented person to be the given people of God. He made you in his image. He has already given you the ability to give and just being made human, to give your love and your friendship, your patience, your forgiveness, your kindness, your perseverance, your generosity. You have these gifts. You have the ability to just smile to give a kind word and a hello, to spend two more minutes with someone than you might otherwise, to give your presence. So I wanna encourage you, share a few of these gifts, not just your talents, your gifts, with two to three people who do not know God this week, who you don't know if they know God or not, or you're definitely sure. Share some of these gifts, your presence, your kindness, your forgiveness, your patience and your grace. Share with those, be like this psalm, be those who receive a blessing that you might share a blessing with the world around you, even if it is just a smile. Because there is a deep well you can draw on to give out of that, a spring of living water welling up in you, Scripture says, to eternal life. Let that spring flow in small, simple, but profound ways. Let that bread for the world be given. Let the peoples praise him. Let all the peoples praise him. Let's pray. We'd like to leave a little space for you to speak to God in your heart about some of the things we've just been discussing, some of the things he's put on your heart through our service, maybe thanking him for the ways that that he has stepped in to intercede for you, that he's given you more than you would ask, that that he's worked on problems that you didn't know to ask about. Maybe confess the ways that you've just wanted to be blessed just for yourself. You haven't cared too much about others. That You've been that reservoir, not that fountain. Maybe just ask God to, to help you see someone this week that you could tangibly give to, to, to fill you up, to open your eyes, to receive grace again, to, to have that hunger to intercede for others. Let's take a few more moments. Let's pray. God, thank you that we give, that you open our hearts to receive. I pray that you would hear these prayers and by your grace that you would answer. In your son's name we pray, amen.